welcome to another edition of the Luke to Sheep podcast where we talk about all things uh, Second Amendment and your right to bear arms. Um, we've been kind of working our way through some of the gun control laws uh, of the past, and in our last episode we talked about the Gun Control Act of uh, 1968, which grew out of the assassination of JFK, Martin Luther King, and, and Robert Kennedy. And, and in this act, it, it uh, created the background check system. It also uh, mandated that gun sales go through the an FFL to eliminate the uh, sale of mail-order guns directly to individuals, which was, again, how Lee Harvey Oswald acquired the rifle that he used to uh, kill Kennedy. Now we're going to talk about the uh, Firearms Owners Protection Act of 1986. Um, this act did uh, several things. Um, it... Uh, um, loosened some restrictions on gun sales where uh, allowed the uh, sale of uh, long guns, um, interstate sale of long guns, the legalization of, of ammunition, ammunition shipments uh, through the U.S. Postal Service, and the removal of record keeping on sales for non-armor piercing ammunition, and the federal protection of transportation of firearms through states where possession of these firearms would otherwise um, be illegal. Um, but the, I think the thing that this uh, act is primarily known for is the ban on the sale of fully automatic machine guns that were manufactured um, after uh, 1986 to civilians and restricting this to um, only um, military and law enforcement agency. And so, <clears throat> you know, the... Um, ultimate result of this was the, uh, um, you know, supply and demand that uh, the price for a fully automatic weapon just uh, skyrocketed where you could get one for the normal price of, you know, anywhere in four or $500. Now you're looking at typically a minimum of $10,000 to get something that, that is fully auto. And that is just because you can't get anything. They're not making them anymore. You can't get them um, uh, anything, you know, after 1986. So uh, the supply is fixed, um, unless there's some hidden cash out there someplace that may show up. But the supply is fixed, and the demand actually continues to go up. Now, the interesting uh, thing is, is that uh, there was a study done, and they estimated that there were 175 thousand fully automatic firearms um, licensed by the uh, ATF and there has been no evidence that any of these have ever been used to commit a crime. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the date on that study was so um, that number obviously could have gone up drastically. Uh, the other thing that this uh, act did was um, as for an FFL it uh, mandated that um, ATF inspections of FFLs could only be done once per year. I've, uh, for instance, I've been in FFL for 13 years now, and knock on wood, I've, I think I've only been inspected three times, um, maybe four, um, but uh, I know none in the last uh, three and a half, four years, because uh, we're We've, we've moved, and I know we haven't been inspected here. So, um, 
the uh, uh, process, you know, definitely um, uh, it, um, has helped um, from an FFL perspective because those inspections um, sometimes aren't fun. Um, in fact, one of them I got into a debate with the ATF inspector. He's not an agent. Um, they're an inspector and about the interpretation of a certain aspect of, um, of a, the transfer process, but that's another story. Um, it also uh, outlined the process for transferring these uh, uh, NFA type items um, that um, the fact that you know the application had you had to get uh, um, uh, fingerprints, uh, passport photos. Uh, at the time, individuals had to have a sign off from uh, their local law enforcement. Uh, that's all changed now. We'll, we may talk about that later, but uh, the, the sign off for local law enforcement is no longer um, required. You pay your tax and then you wait for about a year. Um, that's typically the process for transferring an NFA um, item. Um, another aspect of this, which is very interesting, was the, that it um, prevented the formation of a um, federal registry of firearms and outside of the those that are NFA items uh, to track back and that's one thing that you know you watch movies TV um, and there's a lot of confusion a lot of um, uh, misinformation about what firearms are registered now there can be some registries at the state and and local level but at the federal level there is no registry um, official registry um, and the way the process actually works, you know, is if the gun's actually used in a crime, they will do a trace request and that the law enforcement have to actually go back to the manufacturer of that weapon, ask them, what did you do with this weapon? Who did you transfer it to? Who did you sell it to? And they'll say, you know, we went to ABC Wholesale Company. Then they go to ABC Wholesale Company and they say, well, we uh, sold it to um, XYZ dealer. And so then that, and this is where I get involved, and I get these um, semi-often, maybe um, a dozen a year. I get a call from the National Tracing Center. They give me the date that I, uh, approximate date that I received it, the make and model of the, the firearm, uh, caliber, and serial number, and ask me to send them the 4473, the form that I um, did the transfer on, to them. So then they can call contact that individual and find out what they what happened to them um, that's why my advice to anybody if you do a face-to-face -face, uh, sale to a private individual keep the records of who you sold it to so if the FBI or anybody at KTF comes knocking on your door asking you what did you do with this firearm we see that you uh, had it transferred to you and you know two years ago you need to be to tell be able to tell them where it went so that you can send them on down the path but the other thing, too, that um, is a little-known fact, I guess, by a lot of individuals, is that there's some unofficial um, registries uh, that are at the federal level 
Now, I do know as an FFL that <clears throat> they're not implemented very well. Um, primarily, it's the multiple sale reports. So if you uh, purchase a handgun um, um, from the same dealer, um, more than one within a five-day period, and that five days is really defined by the dealer's operating hours, um, then, or it's five business days, I'm sorry, then um, the dealer has to report that by sending a multiple sale form. Um, and so now they've got on record that this person now has purchased this firearm and this firearm with these serial numbers. And uh, in theory, they could start accumulating those, but I know they don't, or at least they're not connected because I get, multi I get trace requests on firearms that I have submitted a multiple sale report on. So I've already sent the government information on this firearm and they are um, not able to connect the dots to it. Um, the multiple cell ports for me also apply to long guns that are fully automatic, uh, fed through a magazine and a greater of a 22 caliber because, and I don't know exactly the exact date, but this was back in the Obama administration when Fast and Furious was going on and we were saying that all the dealers on the on the border states were um, tr you know transferring guns um, into Mexico illegally and so we had to start reporting when people would come in and buy those types of long guns um, in a multiple sale fashion well as we all know it came to find out that it was our own government that was sending those firearms those uh, rifles into to Mexico and they just lost track of them, but they tried to blame us as well. Um, another potential uh, uh, source of a registration is um, those trace guns So uh, that I talked about. So I've now sent that information to, the, to um, them so they could have a record of, of who's purchased what and what, what you may or may not have in your possession. Um, another big one, and this one's a uh, but I think our government is so disjointed that they can't ever get themselves organized, but out of business records. So if I have, a, as a, I have to keep my forms for 20 years. Um, so I'm on 13, so I've got seven more years, and I can finally destroy a box that I have in my attic. But um, those um, out of business records. So whenever um, uh, FFL, a dealer, goes out of business, they have to send all their records uh, to the ATF. Uh, and so they could have boxes and boxes of 4473s. Uh, now that we're, the concerning thing too is a lot of people are going, I'm still using paper forms, some people are going digital. So they might actually enable the government to better um, organize and store that information and search it uh, in the future. But right now I know that they've just got boxes and boxes of paper forms um, uh, stacked um, um, in their, their different facilities. Uh, you know, guns that are reported stolen, uh, another potential area for a uh, um, uh, registry. Uh, the other part of that was, um, of this act, was that it um, described uh, and created certain categories for individuals that uh, were prohibited. 
Um, and so this is all these things, and I, I won't go into all of them. You can go pull a 4473 and, and look at them and see, but um, it's all the yes-no questions that are on the 4473. Um, are you a fugitive from justice? <clears throat> are you an unlawful user of controlled substance? Um, have you disowned, dis, uh, have you, were dishonorably just discharged? Have you, dis, uh, have you renounced your citizenship? Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it defined those in, 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 a, in greater detail. So, um, but again, I think the most important thing out of, out of this particular act was the, the, the restriction on the sale of newly manufactured fully automatic, um, weapons and what that has done to the price of um, existing uh, fully the, um, automatic weapons. So that's it for this episode. Um, I do, I want to ask um, one question um, first. Well, first off, if you, uh, if you like this, please um, uh, subscribe, give it five-star rating on whatever uh, medium you're listening to. And then I have one question. This is one question I want to ask everybody. Um, to send me a response to. What is your favorite firearm? Uh, you can either just be very generic or you can go right down to the, you know, um, uh, make model year it was made, caliber, whatever it is, however you'd like to describe your favorite firearm. I've been thinking about this and um, and it, and if you have more than one, please just send those to me as well. I'm, I'm curious to see wh uh, what everybody has and, and maybe we'll start talking about some of these in future um uh, episodes. I have uh, access to somebody that's probably much more uh, historically uh, knowledgeable on firearms. I might uh, loop him in on, on some of this. But uh, for me, when I look at it, you know, some that pop into my list for me is a Colt Python. Um, my, and these are, you know, mine are more, you know, the Browning High Power, the Smith & Wesson Model 41. Uh, beautiful gun. Um, and I, I, you know, some of these are just either from the, the aesthetics and the workmanship uh, of them for you, but you know, for you, it, it just, it just may be it's, uh, uh, effectiveness, um, ease of shooting, whatever it is that you like. So my email address is in the show notes, uh, drop me a note, what's your favorite firearm, and we'll start discussing those in future episodes. Um, and as again, as things are in this uh, current state, stay safe and stay healthy out there.